0: Let's roll. Loud. Go. No? Well, maybe it's good that it's loud.
1: Huh?
0: Maybe it's just good that it's. L- Why?
1: <laughs> it's good that it stopped. Beep, beep.
0: It's just broke. Beep.
1: Your cat is staring at me in a very aggressive way.
0: Oh, what is
1: happening?
0: <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what the shit, want to get out.
1: We don't pay you that minimum wage to, like, fuck up the technology.
0: Hello. Hello to the spooky episode.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Of
0: the Spooks and Spoopettes.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm so embarrassed for all of us. (laughs)
0: Yeah, don't we we should have thought of a spooky name for our podcast. I know that people on Twitter change their handles to like spooky versions of their names. I
1: legitimately did not know we were doing a spooky episode until like 20 minutes ago when I was stuffing as many dumplings as could physically fit inside my mouth (laughs) and your wife informed me. She said, what are you planning for the spooky episode? (laughs) (laughs) I don't fucking know because your arm does not keep me up to date with these things.
0: (laughs) Also, I don't have a lot of things prepared for this specifically spooky episode, but this is the Halloween week episode. And for our many US listeners, they are probably listening to this while in full costume for the next week. That's how I imagine it. Like in Germany, we have the carnival and that's like literally like more than a week, I think like 10 days or something.
1: You also spend like five months preparing for carnival, but that's also because the five months before carnival are dark and depressing. Yeah, it starts in November. Yeah. So like why not prepare because you literally can't leave your house because it's horrible (laughs) outside.
0: And then it's literally a week... Of mayhem, mm. where people in costume go crazy, and this is what I imagine Halloween to be like—exactly like shitty costumes, rain. Excuse
1: me, some of us have very nice costumes prepared for Halloween. Yeah. Are you not dressing up or something for Halloween?
0: I don't go to a Halloween party as of yet, so we I don't have one at occasion. work.
1: You could come to your your old place of work and come.
0: <laughs> I like, will not travel like what, <laughs> travel four like. hours to Potsdam <laughs> um, to sit <laughs> there with like two guys with cat ears on and you in full costume. <laughs>
1: so i i decided like quite early on that i i wanted to be a crow like i have this thing like i wanted to do like this costume which i consider still scary not just like sexy sexy crow or sexy like hermione or whatever the sexy dumbledore um i wanted to like something terrifying so i thought okay crow is awesome and you can also do it very stylistic so still like have like makeup and hair and like feathers everywhere but part of that was also to bully one of my best friends into doing a joint costume with me. So I've what is
0: she is she Russell?
1: No, so I, actually, my original plan was that one of my friends was going to be the other crow, and then our other friend was going to be Odin. But now, like, the the second crow has pulled out. You have to explain
0: that to, like, an uncultured Uh, swine like me.
1: So, Odin is, like, the king of the gods in North mythology. So, you've got, like, Thor, who's, like, a sexy Australian guy, like, very blonde, like, lots of abs. Sometimes he rips his clothes off just for dramatic effect. His name is Chris, but then all of their names are Chris, so it's really confusing when you watch the Avenger movies. But one of the the blonde Chris's, his name is Thor, and he likes thunder. And then he has a papa, and the papa's name is Odin. And Odin has a really cool horse, which has many legs, and also has two crows.
0: I didn't, I I knew most of this. (laughs) Alternatively, you watch a
1: different TV show, not the Avengers, which is a movie, but you watch the TV show American Dad, in which case you might also see Odin. And then he's kind of an old man, but he still has the crows in that. So the crows are really like a central part, which is why I'm going to be the crow. Good. Central. Good. Although, yeah, as I said, I wanted to be a crow first because I think crows are terrifying and I, I think they're kind of like awesome. And my idea was just to wear like some feathers and have a little sign which says nevermore and just spend the whole day like going caw caw and people are like holding up this sign and, like only speaking to them by saying caw or nevermore which i think is like <laughs> the most irritating thing i could possibly do and therefore like it causes me delight like my life is very stressful now and every time i think about myself as a crow like i've been in the office i've been like I don't know if you know, like, how crows or ravens, they kind of walk. They, like, do this, like, weird, like, hoppy thing where they kind of, they kind of hop, but they kind of also move both legs. So they're like, I don't know, it's like a weird rotating hop. Mm-hmm. So I've been, like, going up to people in the offices, like, like hopping over them and then, like, kind of trying to loom like a crow um, and then saying call <laughs> and seeing if they understand what's, mostly they don't understand what's <laughs> happening. Um. <laughs> and now, my boss is calling me up for no, I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your first harassment lawsuit. I, I was trying to like convinced. Welcome to the club. I, I, was, it's not true. <laughs> I was going to one of my
1: friends, like, I was like hopping up to him and, like, ca, I was like, what am I? And he's like, I don't. I don't know and then my other friend's like leave him alone Tegan go back to your office like it <laughs> is is not happening it's,
0: it all reminds me I'm trying to do that search for that on the side oh ah, yeah yeah. there's this children's book it's called Arabel's Raven um, which is not uh, yeah, it's not a crow but it's a raven it has like beautiful illustrations uh, by um, Quentin Blake exactly Quentin oh, Blake oh yeah mm-hmm. Um, Mortimer and- yeah, Mortimer the Raven and he, yeah, he also he can only say nevermore. And mm. then he does all kinds of mayhem and it's like I love these books. That's as a exactly child. what
1: I want to be. So I'm gonna be instead. So Odin, sorry, back to that. Odin is like the, the all father of the, the Norse gods, so he's like this old wise powerful guy. Um so old my, white men.
0: DOG old white man. Oh my
1: god. No, he's <laughs> super cool. Um and he has these two ravens who are kind of familiars, but they're also like symbolic, so they're called Hugm and Mon- Monen and one of them is standing for thought and the other one is like memory. So I'm going to be Hugin, And mm-hmm. then we bought like a plastic one off eBay to be Munen. <laughs> so now my friend is going as Odin and I'm going as a crow. And Okay. Or a raven, depending. I mean, it's the same to me. I don't know the, the subtle differences because... Yeah. Yeah. But I'm very... I'm I'm super happy. Like every time I think about being a crow, I'm just insanely happy and i spend the next 10 minutes like saying cor 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 which <laughs> is also really annoying
0: you can look forward to this episode <laughs> where we have where it's <coughs> me and a, and a crow um, <coughs> <coughs> talking about plant science <coughs> yeah, yeah i don't have anything prepped because i don't have really a party and also no what is it's thursday this year right
1: mm, when yeah thursday
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So we have a German public holiday then.
0: If somebody considers (laughs) him or herself as my friend and wants to throw a party on this (laughs) Thursday, I'm available. (laughs) The Venn diagram of
1: people who are your friends and who are actually listening to this podcast.
0: (laughs) And are interested in (laughs) throwing a Halloween party. It's pretty much no overlap. It's like three independent circles.
1: (laughs) But if anybody has any really cool um, plant costumes or science-related costumes, please... Let us know. Show us the pictures. We'd love to see them.
0: Yeah, we'll talk or about it in the n- next next episode.
1: Also, if you're also planning to be a crow for um for Halloween, just yeah, get in touch with me. Maybe we can be friends. You like could become maybe a you're also called cool. crows. We could become a murder of crows.
0: And then you would then you could do a podcast together, and it would have where you just call, and then it would be a murder podcast.
1: Uh, all right.
0: Uh, this is the time when we move forward in this show <laughs> to this it's the paper of the week
1: it is the paper of the week and today it's my paper of this week yes so um this week i'm actually doing one which my father sent me in an email <laughs> where my father loves to send emails where it basically doesn't have any message. It sometimes has a subject line and then just a link. So <laughs> I assume you've already seen this with the subject line and then there was a link inside it. I had not seen it. Thank you, Father. Um, I didn't bother responding to my father's email because that's not communication and it's a two-way street father. So if you send me an email with just a subject line, it's also his birthday today. Happy birthday, dad.
0: Happy birthday for me as well.
1: Uh, it's not going to be his birthday when this comes out. So yeah. yeah, um, You'll have to wait for another 300 and I don't know, 58 days or however, whenever this comes out.
0: Whatever. Yeah. I'm not doing the math in my head now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the paper is something that came out in science just a couple of days ago. It's by Aditya Vaidya et al. So um, in the group of Sean Cutler. And the paper is called Dynamic Control of Plant Water Use Using Designed ABA Receptor Agonists. So... um, yeah, I will run through it quite quickly. The first we have to start with the the concept of water and why water is very important for plants. Yeah. So, um plants need water just like we do um but they don't just need it because of its function as like drinking it.
0: Yeah. It's like physical and chemically that they need it, right? They They need it physically to transport other things with the water from the roots they evaporate water on the leaves and that sort of sucks up water from the roots Mm -hmm. and with the water from the roots come all kinds of like nutrients and other things that the plant makes in other organs so it sort of powers the entire highway of molecules through the plant is powered by this evaporation on the leaves and the sucking of Mm -hmm. water through the roots. And the chemical part is in photosynthesis, right? There is the, um, at Photosystem two, water is split into oxygen and hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hydrogen is then bound to other molecules and then used uh, in the metabolic pathways. And the oxygen is released and we breathe that. And the, the water is also important.
1: Yeah, and actually I'm not sure what the, the balance of water that's like created in respiration from the mitochondria and used in the... Photosynthesis. I have no idea. I'm sure somebody... Yeah, call in. Why not? Um, somebody else <laughs> knows we don't know. <laughs> uh, hello? Ring, ring. <laughs> this is yeah. the talk show. Um, but yeah, as Yoram says, it's it's important for basically pulling stuff up from the roots. And that's everything the plant takes up from the soil. So nitrogen and phosphorus and all those goody nutrients that we're aware fertilizing them with and it works as he said as a kind of giant suction so um, the water comes out from the leaves this is called transpiration and basically there's holes in the leaves which let the water out and these holes are called stomata Um, and the stomata are these holes, but then they usually have um, kind of two gates around them, which can close and open. So they can close to prevent t- too much water going out, which is especially important when it gets too hot. And then they can open again to let more water um, leave again. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this, these are called guard cells, the two cells, which kind of control their, their, the gate mechanisms themselves, and they can open it and close. So obviously if it gets really hot, it's important for the, the guard cells to close the stomata, to keep the gates closed. But that means that they can't have things coming up from the roots. Um, so you start losing this this nitrogen and phosphorus and all the other nice juicy tasty chemicals. Um, but also it means that you can't let gases in and out. So the holes are also necessary for
0: uh, carbon dioxide mostly to come in and be then used uh, in the carboxylation reactions of Rubisco to turn that into organic carbon compounds that can be used by the plant. And yeah, a problem like often in drought, right, is when they close their stomata and there is no more loss of water, there is no more intake of carbon dioxide and therefore photosynthesis slows down and it slows down growth. That's why also like water use or like the, the behavior of the stomata under drought is a very important trait also in plant breeding because like a dry field grows much slower.
1: And so basically, yeah, water use is, is kind of a big a big deal these days. We need to be aware of how much water we have available and we're using. Also, watering crops is, is a lot of infrastructure and and so on. But as arm said, yeah, there's a trade off. So if you want to have something not using too much water, especially when it's very hot out, that's usually going to mean that its tomato are closed. There's no carbon dioxide coming in. And therefore, it's not photosynthesizing, so it's not making mass. And this has been seen. So a lot of the varieties, for example, of wheat that we've actually built to be like high producing, they grow fast or they make a lot of seed. They're also very water inefficient. So they just use a ton of water to to make this production happening. Um, So one idea is that we can try to manipulate the plant using certain small molecules, which can basically shut down the guard cells, close them up at will. Mm -hmm. So this might be that you can have a a variety which has genetically the high producing type so it usually has its its guard cells quite open it's using a lot of water but then you think okay the next like weeks we know there's going to be a drought we need to shut this down otherwise there's going to be a lot of problems the plants are going to die because they just will um, start gasping for for water basically so let's shut their stomata down now mm. by spraying a chemical on them oh yeah yeah that's
0: um, nothing not something i've heard of before but it sounds like quite cool
1: yeah so can you turn this basically turn these these open stomata into closed tomatoes quite um quickly and the answer is yes we we can so we know that within the plant this opening and closing is anyway controlled by small chemicals they're hormones um, and this is the hormone aba mm-hmm. so abscisic acid which It's a plant hormone and it controls a whole lot of things about the physiology the growth of the plant the germination how it responds to stresses so it's basically a signaling molecule that goes and says okay something has changed and it's like tells something else to happen in response to that change and it's one of these central things where it's involved
0: in many processes something i remember coming up very often like what no matter what thing you looked at (laughs) Um, there's a chance that you either find like the salicylic acid or ABA or auxin. Yeah. Um, these are sort of like one to three of the main signalling molecules you find around there, and maybe ROS. Um, yeah, they're that, hormones. So. Yeah, and very important things in the plant.
1: Yeah, so we know already that ABA has this um, response module when it comes to drought, where the ABA binds to a something called a pile receptor, so it's just a protein. Um and this protein binds the ABA and in binding the conformation of this this protein is changed. And then by changing that conformation, you change what it what it can do and then how it interacts with another protein, and mm-hmm. you basically set off this cascade where the first thing is that the ABA binds to the protein, and then after that you have this this chain of events which gets set off, and this leads to the um the guard cells being closed, so those tomato holes from being closed. Um and that can be a good thing. So then you have ABA now as a small molecule where you can put ABA and you can make the guard cells yeah. close, right? And they've already seen that this can kind of work in some ways. So they've found that if they over express not the ABA, because it's it's a molecule, it's not a protein, but if they overexpress this, the protein that the ABA interacts with, they can get um some increases in water use and also like in photosynthetic um metrics. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be something which is possible to control. And they've done these experiments previously in Arabidopsis and wheat. Okay. Um, So this group wanted to see if instead of looking at the protein side of it, they could look at the chemical side of it. And they don't want to use ABA. They want to see if there's like another alternative to ABA that they can use to kind of stimulate these proteins. And the group themselves have previously been working in this field as is often the case. And they had shown that there is something, it's called quinbactin, Mm -hmm. which is a small molecule, which can bind with some of these um, receptors and can make the, um, this influence where it closes the, stomatal, the guard cells and closes the tomato pore.
0: Yeah, and the advantage of using something else than the original molecule is that you reduce the chance of messing up other um, processes that it's involved in, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, if you would just use spray ABA on a field, you could have all kinds of secondary tertiary effects of like, or or sort of side effects of other processes that suddenly get, like, upregulated or shut down depending on how they usually react to ABA. And is it also more cost-effective?
1: Yeah, so you can have these other things where, yeah, maybe it's, it's cheaper to produce, you can produce it chemically in huge amounts. The other thing is that you can start manipulating these molecules. So you can start changing them in little ways so that they have slightly different effects or they bind slightly better with one protein but not another protein. And as you said, don't set off other reactions. So there's some some benefits to this to be able to just like make something basically in the lab and then spray it on plants Mm. as yeah a chemical so they they previously kind of um discovered this quinbactin which is an aba like molecule and they found that it worked quite well in closing the guard cells in some species but actually these receptors these proteins which the aba normally binds to there's a lot of different kinds of them in most plant species there's not just one of them there's like a whole lot of different subfamilies and maybe tens of different, like a dozen or so um, of the actual proteins in different variations. And unfortunately, this quinbactin, which previously worked, it didn't really bind to all of them. It it bound to some of the ones in Arabidopsis, but not even the main um, proteins in Arabidopsis. And it also didn't really work in actual crops. So they tried it on wheat and tomato and it wasn't so effective. And what this group said was that this quinbactin, this previous molecule, they could see from the structure of the molecule that it wasn't engaging with a certain um, part of the, the protein. And this part of the protein was something that which was conserved. Mm-hmm. So it was something conserved means that it's found, if you look across a whole lot of different species, all of their different proteins have a few minor changes, but they, they tend to always have this thing in this yeah. spot. And usually we say things that are conserved across time often have functional significance because they, they're important so that the plant can't like just get rid of them. Yeah. And in this case, um, there was a certain amino acid residue. It was a lysine that was in one spot. And ABA would usually kind of like bond up with that lysine. And this quinbactin wasn't able to do it in the right way. And they thought that's probably why they weren't getting the same engagement. OK, so basically, this paper follows in up of this from this quinbactin. And they're trying to like find the new quinbactin, get something better. And they did a virtual screening, so they're doing mm-hmm. all this computer work to go through all of the molecules that exist and all of the molecule structures that they can make and see which one they think would fit best into these, um, these protein receptors. Um, they found a few potentials. One of them was really interesting and it engaged really well with that conserved amino acid, that lysine. It was lacking something else. Um, so they actually ended up making a chimera of this mm-hmm. part which conserved with the lysine. And they put like another part from another molecule which conserved better with the, the bit which was originally lacking. So they kind of did a bit of like oh. chemical magic in there. Um, and then they did some tests and, and they chemically synthesized it And I didn't really look into how they did this honestly because I'm not a chemist, yeah. no idea. But they found that it worked really well. So it had three org- orders of magnitude better affinity, so binding of the molecule to the protein than their previous um, study. So this is not like three times more, it's three orders of magnitude more. Yeah, so, so like,
0: uh, 1,000 times.
1: Yeah, it within that, that thing. Um, yeah, and they also did some other tests, and not only was it working for Arabidopsis, but it seemed to be working for other species like wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, They also did some other stuff, which is in the paper. So they crystallized these protein with the molecule to kind of see how it fit in properly. Um, They did some more tests to see how well everything was like linking actually inside the plant. And they also did some tests to show that this chemical, which is like an artificially made chemical, can be taken up. So they um, put some plants and grew them with the chemical. And they saw that the the chemical could actually be taken from um, the outside by the roots into the plant. So these kind of like to see if it's actually bioactive. Yeah. Yeah, which is often the thing we ha- we talk about when it comes to um taking vitamins like often you might take vitamins from the store but like nothing actually gets absorbed by your
0: yeah body. And with the with one of the major things being the hydrophobicity or hydrophilic um, properties uh, i think like not in the plant world uh, the whole glyphosate thing is very well known because glyphosate itself is very hydrophobic so um, you have to mix it with certain like detergents and things too so that it can actually penetrate leaves and actually get mm-hmm. into the plant because if you would just have like pure glyphosate drop it on a leaf it would sort of like fall off it would it would not mix with the water in the, mm-hmm. in the cells it would not be able to actually get in the plant
1: yeah it's like oil off yeah water off a duck's back we would say yeah beautiful saying
0: glyphosate of a plant's leaf is uh, yeah
1: that's the German that's actually uh, how you say it in German <laughs> yeah well,
0: that's ha- everyone's ha- how we've been saying glyphosate. it for like hundreds of years we yeah. were saying it exactly like this
1: <laughs> that's actually why they gave the name glyphosate because they heard the <laughs> saying <laughs> yes. and they're like you know what we should call this there's, glyphosate because the a magical
0: we're substance <laughs> mentioned in like proverbial use in Germany for hundreds of years <laughs>
1: Okay, so you're going to just have to trust me or read the paper yourself, but they did a lot of tests with their new molecule, and it worked wonderfully, and they were super excited. And as I said, it didn't just work in the Arabidopsis, but it seemed to work in um, wheat and tomato as well, which is the problem with the previous um, mm-hmm. molecule, it didn't work. And also the previous molecule didn't work well with some of these other types of the, the protein that it should interact, the receptor, and this one seemed to work better with that that other family, that other type of the protein, so... Oh good. Um, what I wanted to say is kind of end the story on what they named the the um, molecule. It's called Operbactin. and that's because they wanted to also call it Op. Do you know what that stands for? Um. In like gaming slang.
0: In gaming slang, uh, uh, overpowered.
1: Exactly. <laughs> i so, know it
0: like in from from like reddit it's the original poster but
1: uh yeah i know this is from like gaming slang so overpowered. it's powered yeah overpowered so it means like the the best character in the game or also like the best like weapon or like yeah. something that like basically yeah. powers you up like
0: and it's also like in yeah i don't know if they meant this, this in this case but often op is something in the in the balancing of a game um it's something that doesn't fit in the balancing it's like too powerful for mm-hmm. the rest of the game that's sort of the the meaning of it often
1: okay so this is quite like they're kind of talking up their drug a lot here they're like this is like <laughs> now too powerful for um for the world of, of plants but it's kind of nice um actually i what my dad originally sent me was an article in SciTech daily and then they had an interview with the the corresponding author so like the big boss in the lab um which was sean cutler i think um, and he said the name is a shout out to his ten year old at home. So I like like his daughter or his son. Somebody at home is playing like a lot of games. So it's
0: like son. OP. Finally, I'm cool. And I wonder what the son's response will be. Or a daughter. Or daughter. But you said it's his son. I said it's daughter
1: a- or son. I don't ah. know. Twelve year old at home.
0: Okay. I don't yeah. know. His um, child will be like a child. Am I cool now? And a child will probably nah. like no, nah. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have um, to do the Fortnite dance on your presentation then you might be cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they did have a few follow-ups in the discussion they want to see what other effects this molecule had so as Yoram kind of mentioned sometimes using an artificial chemical means that you don't interfere with other processes that the the ABA the kind of native hormone would would do so they said they want to look at what other ABA like effects it has and if it does have those effects that can also be a benefit in some situations Mm -hmm. so it, it kind of depends on what what they want they have to look into that still they said they were also kind of curious about this family of the receptors because There's so many different types of them. And they actually mentioned that in their study, they tried to do some um, mutants of the receptors. And the receptors themselves seem to be really important because they're involved in this ABA signaling, which like shuts the guards out. It should have like huge effects. But actually when they start like destroying these genes, even when they have like knocked out three of them in the same kind of family, they don't see much effect on the plant. Hmm. And if usually if, if something's really important, when you like start damaging it, the plants get really sick. So they said, hey, something else is going on. Maybe there's redundancy, like there's other genes who can fill the job, but we would like to know more about what's going on because from what we can see, it's not as like yeah. the, the effect is not as strong as we want. Okay. Um, And then the final thing was, they kind of went back to the idea from the introduction, which is that although... People have showed already that you can play with the, the ABA, the receptor proteins in the plant and this might have already an increased effect on water efficiency. This is not a dynamic process generally. So generally you change the cultivar by genetic engineering or by breeding and you make them have higher expression of the protein. But this is for the life of the plant. Yeah, And the benefit of this is that it's dynamic so you can have plants which are like using a ton of water during winter and they're completely growing as fast as they can but then you have to prepare them for the summer months and maybe just spray a little bit of this chemical on their leaves or put a bit I don't know in the soil so it's kind of that's why it's a step up that's why it's oping the shit out of this um yeah yeah yeah, cool. So, very interesting. Thank you, Father, again for pointing that <laughs> out to me. Made it easier for me to do my homework.
0: Do you think he's cool now? My dad? Yeah. Oh,
1: he was always cool, Matt.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So he didn't have to name things to, according to your hobbies, so you find him cool.
1: I, I think he like, it's anti-cool, I would say. He, like, <laughs> he, I mean, everybody wants to kind of be cool, right? But yeah. he like, wants to be anti-cool cool
0: oh yeah he doesn't try and that's what makes him cool no he tries just he tries
1: to be anti-cool i mean the ones who who are being anti-cool are also trying they're just trying to be anti-cool right they're still trying everybody's trying
0: (laughs) but he manages to to get that
1: i mean probably he should try harder like society (laughs) is we're we're a group of people who interact right like
0: (laughs) yeah um cool then uh, (laughs) finally i know one of these like um growth regulators I think in the past we talked about it once like in agricultural context and I didn't know actually what they are but this would be a typical example of a growth regulator um, yeah that's not exact like you're not treating pests and you're not spraying fertilizer you're doing something else to the growth of the plant
1: uh, obviously this is like it's very not being early. used yeah but
0: but I imagine like I think there are other chemicals in use already like they not do the same job but they do other things where you prepare them for certain certain uh, certain things to see uh, triggering or signaling mo- molecules
1: yeah i mean the thing is like as as they themselves that they didn't they themselves mentioned in the paper like aba has a lot of effects on the plants so obviously before it gets used in the field you have to look into what else spraying this drug will do i mean if it has like impact on flowering and suddenly you spray it on and therefore the plant doesn't actually make flowers and doesn't make the the wheat that you want to eat that's not ideal so obviously like these have to be looked into but it's it's kind of a cool cool idea right yeah cool yeah favorite plant
0: and this week it's my favorite plant and it's a spooky plant oh because it's a spooky week of halloween and i promise this is not it's actually i'm not promising anything this is it's not the last uh, spooky element today my spooky plant is monotropa uniflora um,
1: I, I know what it is
0: yeah okay yeah, it's your turn now
1: <laughs> okay so what it is is i wrote a story about this and joram stole my story about it because he was too lazy to do his own homework. <laughs> <laughs> no, I it's actually, beautiful.
0: I, I actually, it's like convergent evolution. Like It happened twice. Ah. Uh.
1: Actually, I saw it also on um, In Defense of Plants. I saw them post some pictures. I saw somebody else on Instagram. I think Plante from the plant cell... Like, it's yeah. been going around because it's just so fascinating. It's so beautiful.
0: It's so beautiful. Um, it's called the ghost plant or ghost pipe and goes also by a couple of uh, other names, also like Indian pipe. Um, and it's a small plant. I think in Germany it has a terrible name. It's something like Baumspargel or something.
1: <laughs> Spargel is asparagus, guys. There's like this bizarre obsession with asparagus, in this, especially the oh, white one.
0: Fichtenspargel, I think. Wait, let me, let me, um, What's Fichten? Uh, it's um, pine. Ah,
1: Okay, pine, Spargel. Ah, that at least makes logical sense.
0: Yeah. But um, just as a as a little yeah, quick note here,
1: it's called Indian pipes, but that's not really appropriate because it's not from India, it's from the US. So it's referring, right? Ah, okay. I think?
0: Yeah, it's uh, found in, a, in temperate regions uh, in European Russia, Asia, North America and Northern South America. Um, so actually not in India. I think Although it might Asia, be it could be, Asia could be that it's in India, but uh, I, I, I guess like it's rather... I feel like it's the in, like, antiquated
1: the use of the word Indian, honestly. Ah, uh, yeah. I yeah.
0: think. Anyway. Um, it's also called corpse plant, which yeah. fits the theme much more.
1: There's many corpse plants, plants though, out there, right?
0: Yes, that's why we use the Latin names to be more precise. Um, and the thing about this plant is completely white. And it looks like... like um, upside down asparagus where the f- the tip <laughs> area sort of uh, hangs down in this sort of floral shape mm. well, you um, know when
1: your asparagus is like been in the fridge for too long and it becomes a bit droopy mhm looks like that
0: it looks like that and uh, i it probably tastes better because asparagus is the worst taste in the world um and it does not. So.
1: I don't think it's fair that you get to be a citizen of this country and I don't. Like, when you make claims like that, they should take away your citizen and automatically give it to me.
0: Germans are so big about asparagus, but not a good one, not the green asparagus. It's actually useful. Like the white one, it's grown underground, takes a ton of manual labor from underpaid workers to harvest it. And it only is like available for three or four weeks during the year. And but everybody posh, goes darling. crazy. It's posh. And then they, they drench it in this, like, sauce hollandaise. So they pretty much eat the sauce <laughs> hollandaise and have done, like a disgusting piece of wo- woody like limp vegetable underneath. Um, I think no, that's me actually <laughs> no me gusta.
1: No me gusta. There's quite... So- okay, anyway.
0: So, yeah, so the ghost plant. Uh, Monotropa uniflora does not contain any chlorophyll. Um, that's why it's white. Um, so it's to, to get its energy, it can't do photosynthesis. Um, it feeds on um, fungi, on mycorrhizal of, um, uh what's what now like the, the, the fungi really are symbionic. mycorrhizal, so the fungi live in symbiosis with uh trees. Um and so by proxy the monotropa uniflora also requires photosynthesis to grow because it's the, the tree photosynthesizing then it's the basically fungus is taking some of the energy from the tree and then this plant feeds on the fungus. Yeah,
1: you got to imagine the fungus is not like a little mushroom. It's like these hyphae which is just like long connecting straws and the the ghost pipes are basically just using the hyphae like as a a straw and like sucking the carbon out of the the pine tree that the Yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, then um, to further research it, um, I, <laughs> I googled a little bit around, and then there was the question if whether or not you can smoke this. And okay, then I found a story from a, a, a blog post from 2009, so 10 years ago now, where somebody describes finding these flowers by the when he was walking around, and he wasn't actually smoking them. I don't know why Google told me the story uh, or like linked to the story, but he was eating them and then felt incredibly sick, what? but took this as a proof of his. Connectedness to Gaia, Mother Earth, and it's a very <laughs> weird story. What? So um, I will link that as well because it's just fun to read. Because we? It's, it's
1: Are we supporting this?
0: <laughs> no, not supporting this. Just as a, like a study, how you can also approach research. Just like eat things you find Guys, by riverside. Guys, don't, don't eat things and if if they make you sick. Just think it's the it's the will of Mother Earth.
1: Look, a lot of like most plants out there don't want to be eaten, so they're poisonous. And even if they're not poisonous, a fox is nearly definitely defecated or pissed on them and foxes have parasites in their piss so just like don't eat things (laughs) on the side of the road like please don't eat things that you find unless you really know what you're eating
0: in the story there's uh, nice quotes because this guy is like somewhere between just try and error and researching stuff so he tried to figure out if that's actually toxic and then he found a story from another guy who wrote i ate an ounce or uh, or more from the young flowers and stalks and was slightly nauseous i did not want to eat it again there was this research that he based his findings on um we so, yeah. were
1: actually like talking about it's it's mushroom season now. I mean, all these mushrooms are coming up, and there's a discussion about whether you, which ones are edible and which ones are poisonous. And there's different types. Some of them have these kind of lamelles. They have these like um, I don't know how do you, how you would say it. These is kind it of lamelles, lamelles the is the right word. It's like gills kind of underneath if you turn them upside down, and others are spongy. And I don't know, one of the t- the groups, don't quote me on this, is like there are, there's a lot of poisonous ones which will kill you. And the other ones, it's safer to eat because none of them are actually going to murder you in Germany, not anywhere else. And I also don't know what group it is. So please do not follow my advice and do not yeah. sue us. Um, but the thing is like even the, the group, let's say it's a spongy group, even those ones, they're not going to kill you. Like they will make you violently ill, some of them. So like... It's safe technically, but is it an enjoyable experience? Like
0: That's why I never went uh, to pick out mushrooms. Um, I know I know people who do it and they're safe. So I think there are ways beyond the, the simple distinction to know what's safe to eat and what isn't safe to eat.
1: Yeah, I know highly, highly confident people who believe they can do it. Yeah. and think that they could lead other people to do it. And I just like... <laughs>
0: yeah but also like, but I don't like mushrooms enough to go out for the risk and like I think there are some even that are just extremely bitter and even if you have a small piece of that in your stew it will ruin the entire meal mm. um, just taste wise so I I'm not keen on figuring like making that like, experience mm. um, but yeah but the plant is really cool wow <laughs> we were in this segment right and um, we yeah as Tegan said we have a story on this that was that will have been published by the time this comes out um on monday uh yeah on last monday last monday, monday the, of, of the release of this this week of this podcast uh, where we have this plant and many other cool plants so definitely check that out um lots of spooky halloween plants <laughs> <laughs> okay that's my my favorite plant and uh, now
1: diversity in the Yeah, it's me. It's you. Um, So this is the section where we talk about non-Y male, which just means non-cis men who are the dominant in their environment. We want to talk about diversity in science. And mine I chose based on the fact that this month, like last Monday, I went to a really lovely talk at my institute. So my work actually has been working really hard to... Discuss diversity issues so gender diversity but also sexuality um not just male and female but also cis and trans um and kind of like also intersex so a whole lot of categories and they've been trying to really actually discuss these things and kind of like educate the people as to what what's involved what the problem are currently so as we know diversity is still suffering quite a lot in science which is very disappointing um And I had a really, I went to a really, really lovely informative talk, which kind of broke down what's the difference between sexuality and gender and also like the difference between being assigned a gender at birth and what's that based on. It's actually not based on chromosomes or hormones. It's based only on whether or not you have a penis or a clitoris. And even this definition is very shady. I didn't realize like it's, if you're below a certain amount of centimeters, they call it a clitoris. If you're above a certain amount of centimeters... It's called a penis, you're a boy. And there's actually this like in between zone where mm. you're now intersex. And then in many countries, still the doctor says we should do surgery on this person because yeah. they don't fit into any of our two binary categories. And it's which often are the parents
0: that are asked to decide which one of the two it will be, right?
1: Yeah. Um, but with.
0: And so that's a 50 50 chance of getting it right to what the person feels like not even not 50/50, 50 because 50 because even less right because people
1: people have like i mean it's it's all continuum right yeah. like this this binary idea i think it's we're getting to the stage where we're moving away from that at least we're becoming aware that maybe there's not just male and female there's not just straight and gay there's not just yeah, yeah. there's a whole spectrum which is great but it's really sad and honestly This guy was amazing because he himself could talk from personal experience as a trans man, but he also was doing his PhD on that. So he managed to combine combine both the complete professional knowledge, like really he was the expert on all of it, especially from the German perspective. So the rules in the EU and in Germany and everything, but also had this personal experience. And I was just astounded about how it gave both basic information, but also like, Like a lot of stuff I just didn't know about and really, really horrible stuff that I, honestly, I, I felt like I was just upset the whole time. It just felt horrible. And I mean, (laughs) who am I to say I felt horrible, but like just these, these facts. So in some countries in the EU, if you want to have gender realignment, like surgery, you have to get forcibly sterilized in the EU, countries in the EU. In Germany... If you are born and assigned female genitalia or male genitalia and you want to have things legally changed so that you are in fact your real gender, so being trans, male or female, you have to first legally be defined as mentally ill.
0: Yeah, I heard that. And you have to like go through, like first of all, get a spot at a psychologist, which is very hard. First,
1: before even that, you have to go to a judge who has never met you that he has to decide if your case is even worth hearing. After that, you get referred, you have to get two psychologists. These are people who are probably not trained in gender issues and they meet you for like 10 minutes. And they then like decide in this, or like I don't know, an hour, they decide in this time, if you fit into what they think a trans person is. And then after that, I mean, there's a whole lot of legal costs and then there's a whole lot of other, like it's expensive, it's humiliating. There's a lot of, and this guy was asking us questions at the very start of the thing. he said, in your day-to-day life, when do you come across questions of gender? And most like obvious, we think of like the bathroom or like a few obvious things, you know, like when you get a letter and it says dear Mrs. Mm-hmm. Blah or dear Mr. Blah. And he was saying, yeah, when he was transitioning he had his credit cards and the credit cards had his birth name on it, which was a female name. And when he would go to the store and pay, they would assume he had stolen the credit cards. So he had to always bring cash with him because, Mm. so like he was kind of highlighting all these places in our life where we insist on discussing gender, where it's just not necessary. Like if you put your child now in the kitter, why do they need to know his gender? He's yeah. a baby. There's no reason why you should register him as Mr. Bla Schwarzman or Ms. Bla Schwarzman. It doesn't make any sense, right? Like, But as a society, we still insist on it. Anyway, this was like really yeah. amazing, really interesting to hear. I think, honestly, it should be mandatory for everyone because I think it's something where we don't get this education growing up. I mean, I didn't even get any education about sexuality. So even just the the most helpful thing he was explaining is like the, the question of gender, like if you're male or female, this is how you feel about yourself and sexuality is how you feel towards other people. And this is something that people still get confused about. Like, is there a difference between being trans and being gay? This is something where still, yeah. In the media even, but also like from day to day, people are kind of having this discussion. So I don't know. Yeah. It was amazing. And it was also amazing that somebody who had the experience themselves was putting their time and effort into educating the rest of us because they don't owe us shit. They already have to deal with the the crappy situation of living in a society. And it's always amazing if somebody is willing to...
0: Yeah. I just want to to add that um, if you don't, if you're not able to attend one of these like classes, because like I think during my time at the institute, there was nothing like this offered. This is this must have been the first time. This is new. Um, so it's very likely that where you, the listeners, are right now. Uh, it will be hard to get access to such a such a course, um, but what I can recommend is just going to Twitter and following like people in your in your country who are trans. There's a good like there's actually a very active trans community also on Twitter, and not necessarily immediately ask these people stuff. Just like follow them and read what they what they tell, talk about. This already uh, gives you an insight into some of the issues and some of the things that move these uh, that move trans people that are important to them. And um, and if
1: you can afford it, consider donating to if they have Patreon or if they have a PayPal or a yeah. Vima or whatever it is consider giving some money because also they're giving you education which yeah, it's their time it's their energy this is important yeah. stuff and our current education system is failing us in this regard so yeah Yeah. Anyway, so, sorry. Based on that, um, I was talking to another colleague at my work and she suggested, she was talking about this person called Ben Barras, who I'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. So, um, Ben Barras was an American neurobiologist at Stanford University. He was looking at neurons um, and the nervous system and he became the first openly transgender scientist in the National Academy of Science in 2013. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he died in 2017 when he was only like... um, 60 or something, maybe 65, um, of pancreatic cancer, I think. There's a a piece about him in The Atlantic, which I'll link to you, but you should definitely go and read the piece and also read the Wikipedia page. Um, there's a few discussions from him about the issue of being transgender, but also about the issue of starting off like when he was perceived as being, when he was female or perceived as female and then made the transition. There was these comments... Um, for example that he ben was better than his sister barbara so people didn't realize that he had transitioned from barbara to ben and they would they were automatically saying he was better as a as a scientist um doing this neurobiology um basically when he was the same person because of the male, so he was also talking about these these issues of sexism against um, women when he was in university as a woman doing this subject, so people who were male and had way less publications than than him at the time um, but getting advantages so it's an interesting commentary from from both the sexism and also the transphobic um, side actually that's another point um, this guy I heard the talk from really great mentioned that transphobic is a problematic word like homophobic and transphobic because a phobia should be something where it's like really a, a primal instinct like you're afraid of spiders or snakes or a threat but like Phobia, like, transphobia or homophobia, you're not really scared of these people. You're just an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, you just you think less of them
0: be, and don't see them as human.
1: Yeah, and so you shouldn't get to be called transphobic because that should be, like, a real condition where it's, like, actually something primal. And this is just you, like, being an asshole and wanting to justify your... Um
0: Did he suggest a, a better word? Because that's where I usually then struggle because I, I totally agree with that issue with the term, but I lack a better uh, word.
1: There was something... I I can't remember, unfortunately. I think I wrote some notes, but um, I can't remember. I I mean, he said, excuse my language, but asshole. But then he also said he had another word on the the lecture slides um, to kind of say, well, this is not a phobia. Um, So just quickly about Ben Barris. He was born in the 50s in New New Jersey, assigned as a female called Barbara, but he was great at science. He went to MIT. Um, He had a medical degree from Dartmouth um, and then started working on this neurobiology um and then transitioned a bit like later in life so uh, um in 1997 and also published on sexism in the scientists um in in the sciences and discussed that so go and read the the articles we link to i think it's quite quite interesting Mm -hmm. and yeah i'm i'm happy that we're now discussing this stuff this stuff um it's it's shitty and shocking how little we know and like this thing about the sterilization in the in EU countries it's just this thing like you you can't imagine this is happening now right like in this day and age that this is still happening it's really
0: yeah and that's why I think it's so important also to to follow these people because even if you think in no matter where you're living right now that it probably isn't that bad like we heard already like some European countries is quite bad but you think like maybe it's not my European country or maybe it's not the US or Canada or Follow some trans people... On, on Twitter and just see what struggles they have I remember like I follow a person in, in Germany um, and he has exactly the problem with the first name very often like no matter when there's any documentation um, anything he always has to explain him at great length people are very skeptic if that's actually the truth and so he constantly like his, his core identity is constantly questioned by like very mundane things that are at no importance to us yeah um, nobody like, when needs he, to know
1: anyway like there's when no when he
0: has to sign for a parcel at the door um it might get a, like a weird look a question or a downright refusal that he can accept a parcel because like he's presenting male and uh there's a female name still because it's like an old account or whatever um or sometimes it's i, I remember just from getting married how hard it sometimes is in online accounts to change your name because these things are usually like grayed out as options to change um yeah so, so this Im-
1: was one of the, the the subjects of like the is in germany is very tricky yeah and since um january this year there's also um there's an additional gender. So there's now male, female and diverse um, that you can have on your your passport or your like, birth certificate on your official documents. But even that, the German government seems to not want that to be for trans people. That's supposed to be for intersex people. So this is based on like the genitalia. And there's now basically yeah, the government not being very helpful and trying to make it not accessible to one yeah. group of people because they're like, no, this is not this is not for you. Well, this is a different like sort of people, and you don't have this option. You have this. Um, yeah, which, yeah, Still. if you're non-binary, it's it's kind of shit because you're non-binary. Yeah. But if your your genitalia look binary, which is such an arbitrary thing, like based on genitalia, not even based on chromosomes or hormones according to the, the government, you're binary because you've got this, yeah. this length at birth of, of yeah. genitalia.
0: Really, yeah, so a yeah. massively long way to go there, um, which is sad, but...
1: And we acknowledge that we are not the right people to be talking about this, so please go and check out people yeah. in the community yeah. and hear their voices.
0: And now we move on to the next segment. <laughs> this is where the... some fun facts
1: no you have to do your favorite plant still did you do you did ghost pipes fuck
0: (laughs) this time it's not me like we Uh, had one already where i completely messed up the the this is where the
1: fun begins sorry
0: this is the where the fun begins um i tried to look up some things um about pumpkins because halloween and turns out pumpkins are just the most boring plant in the world there's no exciting research that i could find about it and when i looked for just googled pumpkin or the i tried to the science behind pumpkins and i thought maybe there's like a cool article where somebody has already done the work for me but no it's tons of like science fair experiments where people blow up punk- pumpkins with different reactions like exothermic reactions uh or like uh, these volcano reactions with just baking soda and vinegar um doing that in a pumpkin so very very boring stuff. But so explosions
1: I ch- are boring, is what you're saying.
0: I don't know. I I don't think I I have a different approach to science and just saying like oh we have something that explodes science yay. I think it's actually detrimental. Um, but I don't want to rant about this stuff. Instead I um, somehow ended up on pumpkin pie spice. Huh? Um, and to me, as a European, this was all always enigmatic. Uh, like when I saw, especially online, people complaining, ah, it's the season of pumpkin spice again. Pumpkin spice latte, latte yada, yada. Um, and I thought it has yada, like yada. actual pumpkin in it. Um, and in pumpkin spice, it's not, It's there's no pumpkin in it. It's just, uh, it's what we would use for Liebkuchen here. Like, yeah. So it's just the spice blend, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cloves and allspice. That was new to me. Yeah, and, and, and maybe- a shit ton of sugar. Yeah, and in in the pumpkin latte, there is actually, um, like now, I think Starbucks changed their recipe a little bit where they exchanged an artificial flavoring for some real pumpkin just so it says on the label that there's real pumpkin in there because people were complaining that there's no real pumpkin in their latte. Um,
1: I, I thought this was one of my five per day. I'm really shocked <laughs> to find that my latte doesn't actually contain vegetables.
0: But I have fruit another product that was pumpkin spiced. Um do you want to guess what it what it could be?
1: A candle. If you go into TK Maxx, the only thing you can find is yeah. pumpkin spice candles, and they smell terrible.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right? definitely true. But that's not a, the the product I mean. Do you want
1: to give me a give me a clue? Um, is it bigger than a bread box? Is it animal, <laughs> it's, vegetable, or mineral? It's Would I find it in the kitchen? Yes. Is it a cat?
0: No. It's an animal. It's smaller than a bread box. You find it in the kitchen. There's a Monty Python song about it.
1: A Monty Python song about an animal? That you find in the kitchen.
0: Yeah, I mean the animal parts.
1: Animal parts.
0: I mean meat. We eat meat in the kitchen. So that's animal stuff. And there's a Monty Python song about it, it's spam. What there's pumpkin pie spice spam that's that was disgusting. released this year. In sep- this September this year. Um and it was sold out in seven hours. Apparently, like people loved it so much. Um and mm. <laughs> yeah. It was it's, eaten
1: it's... in eight hours, it came back up in nine hours. <laughs> yes. It um, that
0: wasn't included in the article, but I think it is true.
1: I did hear something on No Such Thing As A Fish that like like spam stands for spiced ham. Like that's mm-hmm. the original. But now according to spam, it's got like some new fancy, like if you go to their website, they're like re-advertising yeah. <laughs> it as like, I don't know, spangly... Yeah. pistachio I don't know something stupid
0: yeah I heard that as well on the Spam 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 Pumpkin spam. Sp- Spice Spam Pumpkin Spice Spam is also almost like a, a tongue twister mm.
1: Pumpkin Spice
0: Spam um, yeah so that's my the, my very feeble attempt it should just at be Pumpkin some...
1: Spam because the spice is already in there Pumpkin yeah. Spice squid Spam
0: I actually don't know if they ha- it has pumpkin in it or if it's just like a spice blend I mean we together should with pork.
1: We also shouldn't comment on their marketing because obviously they did fine because they sold everything out in like an hour. Or
0: maybe just produce like two kilos of it and then... Yeah. But yeah, so that's my my fun fact about pumpkins. Mm. Just goes to show how boring pumpkins are because the facts were also not exciting.
1: Um, If we're trying to be kind (laughs) of Halloween-y, I have something about moths and poo. So, is that gross? Um, It's something (laughs) that came out at the start of this month on Science News about one of our Max Planck Institutes in Germany, this one for chemical ecology. And the the release um, headline is, when laying their eggs, tobacco hawk moths avoid plants that smell of caterpillar feces. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to go into the research any more than that because I think it's self-explanatory. Like, if you're a moth, you don't want to lay your eggs where other, like, moth babies have shat. Like, I yeah. think that's...
0: But that sm- makes sense what smell of which feces of their own of so their like own feces yeah. moths,
1: they make caterpillars but if some other caterpillars are already living there and shitting all over everything they think you know what I'm not gonna raise my babies here yeah. I'm gonna go to a nice clean that's neighborhood smart. where there's not already shit everywhere that's
0: actually how we picked a place where we want to live with our baby now we yeah. just picked a place that didn't smell like baby shit yeah and then we're like oh yeah there must be no baby little here did right you now. realize
1: that the second you made the baby it would <laughs> shit on everything and everything would smell like baby shit anyway
0: <laughs> and so that's why there's no more other babies here <laughs>
1: <laughs> Out competing the other babies.
0: <laughs> you like, see sometimes parents go there like pregnant <laughs> pregnant women like walking around your neighborhood
1: like, oh no. <laughs> just like hang like your baby's diapers like outside. Them. Be gone parents, be gone. This is our baby's resources. He needs space to grow. <laughs>
0: yeah I, I have um another thing that i looked up for halloween and i promise now this is the last thing i looked up specifically for that um i looked up why we actually enjoy being scared because i wondered what? that um because i don't enjoy being scared i don't watch oh, horror oh my movies god i've so had
1: this like discussion with an ex for like four hours about how he doesn't understand how people like being scared and how they're objectively wrong please tell me
0: uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, um, there's pretty much there's five points of it the first one is um, we like being scared when we're safe where, mm-hmm. when we're in our living room makes we us know. feel
1: smug we, it's basically we like being smug because yeah. we're like haha she's being murdered but I'm not being murdered I'm better than her
0: then the second then link to that is on the neurochemicals. So we get all the neurochemicals of the fight or flight response, like the adrenaline and all of the fancy stuff going on. Which but are at quite the same powerful, time, but yeah. then
1: like twice as powerful as the smugness chemicals.
0: And then we then we also know that we're safe, so we don't have the actual fear part of it, like the the thing that really terrifies us. We just have sort of the the immediate response but then also know that we're safe consciously and so we can just enjoy sort of the high of the neurochemicals without actually having to use them to actually fight or actually flight
1: say it with me smugness
0: smugness yeah <laughs> um, the, the third one is self-satisfaction which is smugness <laughs> which is smugness <laughs>
1: smugness do you know that smugness is the most powerful human emotion? Like there's, like, there's love, and then above love, there's fear, and then above fear, like way above fear, it's like, like so many. Like, this is a logarithmic scale. Yeah. <laughs> it's like smug. I
0: mean, what they're talking about in this article and Psychology Today here is um, just like pushing the envelope, just like seeking out things, finding out where is your limit. My limit is on like starting a horror movie. That's already too much. So turn
1: it off. Turn it off. <laughs> your, your smugness comes from that you control the TV and it doesn't control you Like yeah. you can stop it from playing
0: the fourth one is closeness with others because we often do this not alone but with other people and there has been like some research going in into like going for dates where then sort of the neurochemical response that you get from the movie is then by br- confused by your brain because, as linked like, to your partner and so
1: also because they often sweat and like piss themselves so you can <laughs> smell like their pheromones really like because you know they always say like when you choose a mate you have to like really smell their smell. <laughs> (laughs) So it's a great way to like pick them out really fast because like they just like drench themselves with sweat and piss, and you get like a really good whiff like of the appropriate. I like that. (laughs) This Uh, is why I'm single.
0: (laughs) And the final one here is uh, curiosity. It's just like the the unknown and sort of the dark side of life, having a look into that. I think you relate to that because of all the murder stuff that you listen to. It's like you're looking into like the abyss of like bad things. Yeah, um, that's, that's a, also
1: like um, like the definition. There's also this like paranoia, right? This anxiety. Like you already have anxiety, and then you want to see it through other people and like with the safeness feeling, right? Yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of analyze
0: yeah I don't enjoy any of that that's why I'm like rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine now for the fourth time or something because I don't want to like especially now leading up to Halloween like Netflix and the movie theaters and everything is full of horror stuff because people like I that. saw a
1: film I really want to see It's, I mean I don't really really want to see it but it's called Ready or Not and it's like a, a girl she gets married into a rich family and then at the, the night of the wedding they have to I'm, this is now like Tegan's Movie Corner welcome to Tegan's Movie Corner so what happens she's an Australian she's an Australian actress and that's why I want to see the film and also it has Seth from the OC and he was really cute and I'm kind of wondering what's happened with him now like where's his career going is he still a good actor was he ever a good actor was I just young and thought he was cute so I want to watch this film <laughs> and um, <laughs> basically I read a feminist article about how in most horror films there's like the virginal girl who's like the last girl and she survives basically because she never had sex never did drugs so it's like this really like blatant message to teenagers of especially life.
0: in the 90s right there was like the a yeah, couple having like, sex they were killed if first. you have sex
1: you get married murdered if you like Uh, if you're black you get murdered yeah if uh, yeah not ideal (laughs) in the 90s yeah if you do drugs you get murdered um if anything so there was like this like the last girl and she's always like very virginal so this is kind of playing on that theme and she's like now the new last girl because she starts off like pure in the wedding dress and then basically on the wedding night her her new in-laws decide that to be part as like the tradition of the family to be part of the family they have to play a game and the game she draws is hide and seek that means she has to hide from them until sunrise but of course it's not a nice hide and seek they murder us Mm -hmm. so it's like they're trying to murder her and it just looks fun like
0: does it though not for me I will probably (laughs) not watch it Um. yeah
1: okay (laughs) but Seth
0: I actually I've never watched the OC I don't actually know what the OC stands for yes you do is it is it the OC California no but what is OC then Orange County ah yeah I didn't it's that. a real place okay
1: yeah okay this is not a good conversation this is not a good podcast <laughs> yeah, you, can tell me,
0: you can tell me all, everything you like about like these <laughs> 90s shows that I never saw uh, yeah <laughs> so. um,
1: should, I, should yeah. I end on a kind of cat fact
0: uh, I have so many f- other fun facts that uh, I-, I could throw one more in. Do before. one more. We
1: got to record another episode today, right? Yeah. Don't don't waste them all. I've pretty much used all of mine.
0: Um, no, there's one thing that I actually want to talk now about this week, um, which is hashtag Team Trees. I don't know if you've been a person and on YouTube this week, um, you have seen it. Um, there is a massive group of YouTubers um, that are fundraising now uh, to raise 20 million dollars. Um, to plant 20 million trees um, together with, I think Arbor Day Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit, uh, trying working in reforestation. The story behind it is something. There's a there's a YouTuber called Mr. Beast. He has a Hitler mustache, and everybody likes him. And what? yeah, I don't know why, but uh, he he does like he Somebody called him like a money YouTuber because his videos appeal is that he says like I spent a hundred thousand Euro- dollars on this, and then it's a video how he spends the money on something, and then he gets so much ad revenue from the video that he has enough money for the next video, and um, so he does these special things for reaching certain amounts of subscribers. And when he reached 20 million subscribers, people suggested that he plants 20 million trees to do something good with the money, and. Um, From that, he started working together with other YouTubers and we're actually linking to the video of Mark Rober, who I think is a really good YouTuber. Um, uh, And together they came up with this plan um, of of the fundraising. And now they're doing this massive fundraiser. By the end of this year, they want to raise the money so they can plant these trees. And I want to talk about this because we have talked about this reforestation paper in the past that was published in Science a couple of weeks ago, where they said there's this massive potential of reforestation, um, to fight global uh, heating, um, I think it was something a third of all carbon can be sequestered in, in by reforesting reforestation of lands. Um, we talked about this research a little bit, and now it, there has been come up some controversy. There were responses from other researchers that says the calculations um, took, used estimates that are very wrong, mm-hmm. and so they are absolutely overestimating the potential um, because they also said that they will ref- that, that we should reforest. Um, areas that are at the moment highly reflective. They're like very white so they reflect sunlight and by putting trees oh, on okay. there we mm-hmm. increase the absorption of, of light wow. and therefore increase global heating in this area. Um, plus that um, many areas couldn't be, ref- uh, that you couldn't put forest there and they overestimated the amount of carbon that can be sequestered by forests and so on. So the scientists said even if we plant a trillion trees it will do nothing for, to fight the climate crisis. Um, there's other things we have to do. Reforestation is not the answer. Um, so we also linked to that to, to an article on Wired that uh, sums it up very well because there's been a couple of responses from different research groups um, about this paper and I found it interesting to see these t- this story sort of from the research community coming up in the same week as this YouTube Craze started this hype with uh, fundraising these 20 million dollars, um, where I feel very conflicted about. I don't really want to to like. This disgrace, this because I think it's cool to have this call for action to to remind people about the need to to action, but at the same time I don't know if it's wise to have people sort of spend mental energy and their funds to support this when the research research shows that it's actually not helping.
1: I just planted some trees. You helped there. I planted some trees.
0: Yeah, I haven't I haven't done so yet, um, but I. (laughs) Yeah, I feel conflicted about this. Um, I don't Look, want to I say that it's bad. I don't want to say that it's good. But I think it's interesting to see this massive like activity from the YouTubers and their communities and the discussion in the research field.
1: Yeah, I think I, I kind of agree. There's always these problems with estimations. Maybe it's overestimated. I tend to think of these things as I do for a lot of environmental like issues like taking canvas bags, to the shopping to the market and, and recycling what you're doing it's not really about what the action you're doing it's more about being made aware of what's happening so like yeah. these campaigns in the end of the day they're not going to save the planet even if a billion trees or a trillion trees are planted because we as humans are damaging so much but i think they themselves are at least useful to raise awareness as long as there's not too much misinformation that's spreading so i think there are some like yeah. That's the benefit. So,
0: And as as long as people don't think their job is done now, that they went there, paid, I don't know, 50 bucks and say like, look, I did my part um, because it's not over there. Yeah. Like it definitely, it, it absolutely doesn't hurt as long as it's not the only thing that you do. If you think you're sort of, um, there's this whole moral licensing idea here. So if you think you uh, did all you could by just giving some money to this uh, this one activity, that's bad, but everything that goes beyond that—if you do other things, put pressure on politicians, which is the most important—then it's it's definitely no harm um, to help here to reach this goal. And right now, they're already at almost five million of the twenty million, and this is only running for the first week now. So, um, yeah, looking looking good so far. Um, yeah, that's that's that. Uh, Cat fact cat fact
1: okay it's not a cat fact but it's a spook <laughs> yes <laughs> Are you it's please? catching on <laughs> oh dear god i'm too nice to you um the cat <laughs> fact this week is a rat fact and it's just a quick mention in case you haven't seen it because i really hope you've seen this by now because there's really nothing more beautiful on the internet right now unless it's an actual cat this is rats that have been taught how to drive cars of course, they're not real human sized cars. They're like small um, kind of square buckets, which look like, I mean, they're like little media bottles or biscuit barrels um, with wheels attached. And the mouse can basically um, put its pores in different places to guide the, the car in a different direction. And there's a video online showing the rats driving around the lab in order to get water and food. And they sometimes crash into the walls. But they're pretty good drivers, honestly. Like, it makes me a little bit more scared of the rats because they have this skill. But it's also insanely cute, and also they crash a lot, which is also really, really. Cute. I mean, they don't. They don't look like they get hurt, guys. This is not a cruelty to rats thing. Yeah, they, and the they resi- scientists fine.
0: say that they are, the rats find it relaxing. Although, like, they it's like single rats. Like, they haven't put, like introduced the concept of rat traffic yet.
1: But they did. <laughs> yeah. um, I- no, they did also show one where the 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 car door was open, and they showed a rat like willingly got like walked into the car so that he could drive quickly to go and get a Fruit Loop snack. So he was <laughs> like, I mean, it kind of shows how lazy all of us are, like. I have now got really into taking these electrical scooters around Berlin and instead of walking 10 minutes I'll take a scooter because I find it insanely fun and the rat did the same thing like he literally had like a meter to walk and instead he went into his car and drove his car crashed it into the wall and then had a fruit loop like which is yeah, exactly I how I scoot around
0: town these if days if they want to make rats more like humans I don't know how, <laughs> how smart that is to introduce into the concept of individual mobility with like a, coupled with I laziness mean, these at least are electric vehicles but imagine like all the cars Rats now having their own cars, Degan. That would be devastating yeah. for the environment.
1: It's great. It's, really it's very cute. Uh, go check that out. I mean, yeah. if there's anything you look at today, again, okay, it should be the trans stuff first. Um, maybe think about some environmental issues and then then go look at the rats.
0: Then go look at the like rats. Number
1: three out of the things we discussed. Maybe the paper was also important, but rats, really yeah. good quality, guys. <laughs> These are great quality rats. <laughs> <laughs> and also one of my friends was talking about possibly getting a pet rat because like well, why because a cat and a dog is a bit too much of a commitment now um, so there's guys are like maybe rats are nice and rats actually have really nice personalities they can but be don't quite but
0: they also re- they, they require the same amount of attention
1: no I mean they don't require as much space like I yeah, mean space cat, wise okay but still cat, you have you to feed
0: them daily you have to clean their stuff you have to play with them and yeah the but a cat with them. you
1: can't have like one cat in the house you have to have two cats in the house like to well you can yeah. have one but it's like nicer but rats like like a house is already huge for a rat. So I think it's anyway, whatever. This is discussion. I'm,
0: I'm saying just get a uh, get a cat. Get two cats. <laughs> yeah, get two. I don't see. Like, if all right, you live in a <laughs> shoebox, get two cats. <laughs> we need to end the podcast. <laughs> um, so. Follow us on all of the social media. On and
1: Facebook and Instagram, we're at Plants and pipettes
0: On Twitter, we're at Plants and
1: Our website is www.plantsandpuppets.com. There we release the podcast, but you can also find that on all non-Spotify podcast apps and programs. Um, but we also have blogs where we discuss, like, things like exciting publications and science. Spooky plants. Yeah, spooky plants, scientific um, facts and things like that twice a week
0: and uh, rate us on iTunes yeah Um, it helps a lot actually I haven't checked in a while if you have anything there
1: leave a comment leave a five star review even if you want to say this is terrible Yoram has a terrible voice and Tegan is clearly a racist no not that but like (laughs) if you want to be abusive it's fine as long as you give us constructive criticism it's fine Yeah,
0: constructive abusive abuse is fine
1: yeah Uh, (laughs) Um, it's healthy for us
0: if you have any other feedback we're always very happy for, for feedback um
1: And a shout out to anyone who's in Morocco. Morocco is the country of the week. If we have any listeners who come from Morocco, get in touch with us. (laughs) We had somebody a few weeks ago who was listening from France and said hello. And that was very charming. So if you're in Morocco, please say hello. Say
0: hello to us. And Uh, (laughs) our opening and closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross. Goodbye. Till next time.